You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to 17, and it's also in your bulletins. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is still with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskin. If it is, the skin bursts, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so that both are preserved. This is the word of Lord for our church, and it is given to our good. Um, Please join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll look at this passage together. Father God, we come before you as people who are hungry and thirsty for your word. Lord, we ask that your word would find good soil in our hearts that the thorny cares of this world would not choke it, nor the, the rays of persecution scorch it. But Lord, that it would find good soil and it would produce 10, 20, 100 fold. Um, be with us today, speak to us, Lord, we ask as we, as we are listening. Yeah, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A friend told me a story this past week. Um, he, he went on missions to the Middle East. And on this mission trip, it, it was a predominantly a, a Muslim country. And he shared that these people are the nicest people he's ever met. I feel like anyone who goes to a foreign country, that is typically their response. It's the nicest people they have ever met. And he shared that there's one individual who invited him to, to have a meal with him, his whole team. And of course, they said yes. And later that night, they arrived at this house. It was, it was quite a big house. He was quite a wealthy fellow. There was coffee and there were snacks for them to eat. And after some time, they, they brought out this huge fruit platter, okay? And everyone on the team is thinking, man, people in the Middle East, they eat fruit for dinner. Like, this is amazing. There's so much fruit. It was an assortment of fruits, mangoes, pineapples, pomegranates, and dates. And he was thinking that this was just a fruit party. And they ate all the fruit. There was only peels left over. They were so full. And after the fruit was finished, the host of this feast um, 
invites another individual, signals to someone else, and they bring this huge chicken biryani. And little did they know that that was actually the main course. It was just an enormous amount of food. They hardly made a dent, but for this host, he didn't really care. This was how he showed his hospitality. This is how he showed a type of welcome and friendliness to their country. And food is a unique part in every culture, even for us today. We, we share meals together, and it, it gives off a sense of belonging and a community. Food seems to be a sort of welcome to strangers, as, as my friend and his team were welcomed to this man's home. Food seems to have a very important part in our lives. And in our text today, we see Jesus eating with people. He eats with those who we might find least expected to share a table with him, tax collectors and sinners, those who are kind of on the outside of, of um, Jewish society, the undesirable people. And these are the types of people that Jesus seems to share a meal with. And we too um, are invited to this meal as well, uh, invited to a meal with Christ. God has made us so that he would feast with us to have table fellowship with them. He invites strangers, all those who are far off, to be brought near. Ultimately, as we'll be seeing today, to save them, to have fellowship with them, to belong, to have union with him. But the sad reality is, is that oftentimes we have rejected Christ. Christ offers fellowship. He is our blessedness, our reward, our, our true joy and satisfaction but we have rejected and declined this invitation of table fellowship with him. I'm willing to eat. We often told Jesus that we're, we will only eat on our own terms, with our own diet, terms and conditions, resulting ultimately in Jesus being rejected from us. But friends, even still this morning, I hope we could hear loud and clear that this is the Christ who invites you to feast with him. He invites all those who seek him, to see their need of a savior. It is not the good and the righteous that have earned a place at this seat, but he comes to save sinners. And by saving them, he invites you this morning to dine with him today. And during our time, we'll be looking at three things, who will feast, how we feast, and when to feast. The first thing, who will feast? In our passage, Jesus continues his ministry. He comes to Matthew and calls him to be one of his disciples. And it's most likely that Matthew actually knew who Jesus was. Jesus seemed to be getting a little bit more reputation in the area of Galilee, hearing about his miracles all across the land. And he, of course, says yes. And in light of this, Matthew hosts a, a, a dinner, a feast for Jesus, him and his disciples. But Matthew also calls some of his friends tax collectors and sinners. And if you don't know what a tax collector was, I mean, just judging by the name, they're probably not the nicest people. Right? You know, who likes taxes in some sense? But they, they, they weren't the most reputable and desirable people. In fact, some people considered them traitors of Israel. They were politically cooperating with this Roman disease called the Roman government. And they were also religiously cooperating with unclean people, Gentiles. In often cases, they were notorious for taking more taxes than what they were supposed to take. They pocketed the extra. These were considered to be greedy people. And we don't know the sinners' presence at this meal, but we do know that they 
were associated with Matthew and tax collectors, most likely just people who have also been rejected from this society. And one commentator seems to suggest that um, they're, they're, they might have been pimps or prostitutes or, or thieves, just well-known lawbreakers. And for some odd reason, these are the types of people that are sitting with Jesus. Two groups of people that should not have gotten along. And I wonder if they're seated with Jesus hoping for maybe a second chance at life. To receive a kind of hearing, healing that others have, have been receiving. To perhaps have a fellowship with God once again. To be restored. And friends, for some of us perhaps today are looking for this kind of healing. We might not be pimps or prostitutes or thieves, but we wonder if we could be forgiven of various sins in our lives that we have kept hidden for so long. Sins that perhaps we're hoping to just take to our graves, that not even our children know, not even our spouses know, nor our family members and friends. Some of us have this great sense of guilt, a sense of brokenness, a sense of sin, and we, like the tax collectors, are gathered at this place to find forgiveness, hoping for this type of healing that others have received. And Jesus seems to be quite okay with that. He is sitting with these individuals. He's associating with them. And we're told that he's reclining with them. Right? He's getting comfortable with these individuals. And in Jesus' time, table fellowship represented a type of belonging in the community and, and identifying with these people, perhaps in so many ways that it does for us today. And I've heard it said somewhere, to share a meal is to share a life. And this meal was that kind of friendship, declarative of a person being part of their group. And this, of course, was the problem for these religious leaders. They go to Jesus' disciples questioning their teacher. How can a teacher sit with those tax collectors and sinners? And you can just hear the sarcasm in their voice, calling him a teacher, mocking Jesus and his disciples. When I read this verse, I kind of picture the Pharisees pulling out their phones, pulling, opening the Bible app, and going straight to Psalms 1. And it reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers. Look at your teacher sitting with these types of people, the counsel of the wicked. And this is a little bit of a weird response. You can imagine just the Pharisees listening to Jesus. Well, no doubt, right? Tell us something that we don't know. And, and Jesus overhears the conversation. He tells them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick does, right? Jesus, tell us something that we do not know. COVID-19 seems to be something that is, you know, a little bit of, a pa of the past. And I remember everyone just kind of freaking out when the, the epidemic was announced. And the number of people that were being caught of this disease grew exponentially. I know some people here work in the medical field, the medical institution, institutions, know exactly what happened. And many of us remember the, the, the lockdowns and the closures and only the necessities being open. It was quite a terrifying time not really knowing what this disease was. Um, and I, I find the scariest part of this disease was, was learning that this was asymptomatic. You know, you would have this disease without even knowing it, right? And you're giving it to all the people around you. 
And it is only when we've begun to feel the symptoms that we seek help and seek a doctor. And Jesus here is, is coming to be some sort of doctor. He's claiming to be this doctor, to heal those who recognize their sickness, who humbly comes to him to find healing. And these tax collectors and sinners, I think, are, are coming to Jesus, hoping for this type of healing. And in fact, the tax collectors and sinners may even find a place at this table to celebrate with Jesus of this newfound purity. While the Pharisees claim that they are healthy and they are well, that they don't need a doctor. And Jesus is here in our text, is not saying that these Pharisees are those things, healthy and well. And to them, they might think they are healthy, but they're just simply not. This disease in their lives goes unnoticed. This, the disease of sin in the Pharisees' life is like an asymptomatic disease. Rather than seeking a doctor for health, they criticize the doctor Christ and the people seated with him. And I think perhaps in a real way, it should serve as a warning for all of us today. We are so quick to criticize others, judge others. I think the label that we Christians often get are, are a bunch of hypocrites. We do these things without really recognizing of our own sins in our lives. And, if, and when we do these things, we, we share in the spirits of these Pharisees. We are no different from them. Like those outside the feast, bitter in mocking Christ without recognizing that we too need healing. But with the warning, there's also an invitation. If you are sitting here today with a great sense of guilt, wondering if there is a healing out in the world that can forgive sins, would you hear Jesus invite you this morning to feast with him, to be present at this table, to experience his healing power? He makes room for you at this table. It is the sick who need a doctor. It is the sinner who needs a savior. And this is who is invited to the table. Now let's ask how we feast. Jesus goes on and tells the Pharisees to do some homework. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinner. The problem of these Pharisees is that they do not truly understand what this meant in the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea, that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. To simply give burnt offerings and making sacrifices to God is only a part of the Jewish religion. It requires mercy. In some translations, write it as compassion or love, faithfulness, loyalty, kindness. And, and this word encompasses all these things reflective upon the love and the mercy that the people of Israel received from God. The Pharisees are so caught up in doing the right things. They give their burnt offerings, they, they, they make their sacrifices, doing the very things that God has, in fact, commanded the people of Israel to do, but while forgetting the most important part, mercy. Their wholehearted commitment to God, not just the actions that resemble it. And God will not be fooled. He looks at the heart not simply at what is seen on the outside. And this is absolutely true, true for us today. We ought to uphold mercy and not just sacrifice. 
God desires our wholehearted commitment to Him, faithfulness to Him, not just merely looking the part, but an obedience of our whole selves, devoted to God, to carry out the law, but also to love the Lord as well. And some of us here today are so caught up in the sacrifices and not mercy. We come to church purely out of habit, with no real reason coming for the Lord. We partake in quote-unquote Christian activities like reading our Bible, praying, helping the poor and the needy, only for religion's sake. These things are, of course, good things that we ought to do, but oftentimes we forgot the main point. We have forgotten the sole reason we partake in the Christian life, which is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To know God as a greatest reward, satisfaction, to walk with Him and to serve Him. To love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And to clarify once again that Jesus is not saying that lawless living is what we should pursue, right? Lawful living is a good thing. But we ought to do it while upholding mercy, faithfulness, and love. We cannot separate the two. And, and this is how we participate at this feast, being wholeheartedly devoted to this God. Those who come to Christ in need of him are welcomed. But to fully participate is that we have to uphold mercy, not just sacrifice. Those who know that they are sick can be cured in Christ, only to them perpetually obey this God. He enables us to live to his, his glorious name with our whole selves, and to illustrate this, imagine someone who is not very healthy. He's eating poorly, he's not exercising, he's, he's quite obese, overweight, overall not taking care of their body. Their health just gets worse and worse as the years go by and, and, and the health is deteriorating to the point where they receive news from the doctor that their kidneys are gonna fail. Horrifying news. But by some chance, there is one who is willing to donate their kidney for this individual, having received this new kidney. How will this individual live? Will he continue to live his unhealthy lifestyle? Or will he be transformed in such a way that desires to live a healthy life? And those at this feast of Christ will experience a sort of transplant in their lives. They receive new life in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, being reconciled to their God, allowing us to live in a way that can actually please the Lord, right? A healthy type of lifestyle, a perpetual and personal wholehearted obedience to this God who saves you. Friends, let's remember of the grace that we have received in Christ Jesus we have not earned a spot at this table, but it, but it is by sheer grace we have also received health to live the life that pleases the Lord. Let us not return to our old, unhealthy ways of living of sin. Let us love the Lord wholeheartedly to love mercy and not just sacrifice. And this is how we feast at this table. And finally, let's look at now uh, when to feast. Not only do we see in our passage that the Pharisees question Jesus, but the disciples of John the Baptist come up to Jesus and question him, him and his disciples about the topic of fasting. Now, fasting in many ways in our day is something that we might not see as important or significant, unfortunately. But however, in, in Jesus' day, 
this seems to be something that was, was to display a sort of piety. Faithful Jews partook in fasting to show off, in some sense, a piety in their lives. And the disciples of John and even the Pharisees would have fasted twice a week. And this is probably what they're confronting Jesus about. Why don't your disciples fast twice a week? And it's interesting because there is no command in, in the Old Testament that tells Jesus and his disciples to fast twice a week. The only type of fasting that exists is the fast on the Day of Atonement when the high priest goes and makes sacrifices for all of God's people. And fasting is also associated with a time of waiting and anticipation. It's often done when there is great calamity that happens to an individual calling upon the Lord in hopes that they would be delivered by him to turn their mourning into feasting. To which Jesus responds, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And in the Old Testament, the use of bridegroom is associated with the Messiah. And Jesus here is straight up telling these disciples of John and all those present that he is in fact this awaited Messiah. And there is no need to fast but to celebrate his arrival. All those who are waiting to be delivered by this Messiah should mourn no longer, for he causes our mourning into feasting. And for us today, we have reason to celebrate. This is not a time of feasting, but it's a time to feast. Christ is present with us. He is our deliverance. He answers our prayers. And the people of Israel were waiting for this type of deliverance, perhaps from the freedom of the tyranny of Rome, but instead we are given a better deliverance, a greater deliverance from the tyranny of sin. And this is the feast we are all to celebrate. However, we are also told that there is a time of fasting. Jesus' followers, uh, Jesus follows up by, by what he's saying. He says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from God's people. And the Pharisees and John's disciples and all those who are present probably didn't really understand what Jesus is trying to get at. But for us who live on this side of the cross, know exactly what he's alluding to. He's alluding to his own crucifixion. There will be fasting in that day. And even for us today, there's reason to fast as, as Christ is not present bodily, but he has ascended into heaven. Seated at God's right hand, we too are in a period of fasting, waiting for Christ to come back and deliver us from this present evil age. But also, we're in a time of feasting. We're, we're, we're doing both in, in a real way. As ones who's already been delivered by Christ in his death, life, death, and resurrection, we have reason to fast, waiting for Christ to return, but also reason to feast as we too have been delivered from the tyranny of sin. And this is the type of kingdom that Jesus is bringing into our world and in our lives. Jesus comes to save sinners, has fellowship with them. But in a real way, it looks strange. It looks strange to these Pharisees. It might even look strange to some of us today. And this is what the last two parables Jesus leaves us are trying to convey. This type of kingdom that Jesus is bringing into our world is incompatible with the religious traditions of the Jews, devoid of Jesus Christ. The lifestyle that the Pharisees and John the disciples lived just did not fit the way that the kingdom of God is breaking into history. 
New cloth, ways that Jesus conducts his ministry, cannot simply be an add-on to something that you can just patch onto an, an old garment of tradition. No one in the right mind would put new milk into an old milk carton, right? That's weird. No one would add clean laundry back into the dirty laundry bin. To keep milk fresh, it needs a new carton. To, to keep your laundry clean, it needs to be in the rightful place, in the clean places. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. The new ways of Christ's ministry cannot be contained in the old traditions of Judaism at the time. What is needed is, is, for, is for Jesus and for us to, to recognize that new wine in, must have new wineskins to preserve both. Jesus has not come to amalgamate Judaism and Christianity, but he has come to fulfill all that is required in the Jewish faith to not abolish it. He does not come to annul the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. Jesus fulfills the laws and the prophets. He lived a life for you and I, a life that you and I could not live, but also died the death that we deserved. Perfect obedience. You can find a seat at this table with Christ in light of what he has done and accomplished for you in his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus eats and drinks with sinners. And this is the kind of feast sinners like you and I are invited to this morning. It may look strange to the world, perhaps even repulsive to some. Jesus invites you this morning to humbly come and partake of this feast, to know him, to worship him, to serve him. For it is the sick who need a doctor. It is not the righteous he calls, but sinner. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you are breaking into this world, into our lives in such a way that we um, least expected. That you would dine with sinners, you would call them your friends, and in such a real way, God, you invite us to dine with you, only made possible through your life, death, and resurrection, through the perfect obedience of Christ. Lord, we come before you humbly, recognizing of this illness and of this sickness, recognizing that we need a Savior and we need you. Help us to fully understand that more and more, God, as, as, we, um, as the days go by. Lord, help us to glorify you in those things, to wholeheartedly serve you in all of life. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.